Welcome to the Help Me Abide podcast, a program dedicated to helping you have a closer walk with God by sharing biblical truths and relatable testimonies of women who have overcome. Whether you're a seasoned believer or just starting your spiritual journey, this podcast has something for you. Each episode will supply encouragement and wise practical advice to inspire and challenge you to abide in the one who has all the answers to life's questions. A woman who abides in the shadow of the Almighty is a woman who lives safe and secure. Sit back and enjoy a few minutes of positive conversation with your host, Jennifer Beale, and friends. Help me abide in the one who has the power. Help me abide each day and every hour. Remind me that without you, my efforts are in vain, so that others will see you. Welcome to the Help Me Abide podcast. Today's the day. I can't even explain to you how excited I am to share with you the interviews our team has been working so diligently on. You're in for a treat for sure. Today, as our premiere episode, we are delighted to have Heather Hederman as our guest. Heather is a passionate missionary who has dedicated her life to serving the people of Peru. She has been living in Peru as a missionary for 11 years, working tirelessly to proclaim the gospel to the Peruvian people. She has seen God's hand through various circumstances. Her favorite part of being a missionary is seeing God transform lives, hearts, marriages, and families because he is hope and he is the answer. In this episode, Heather will share her experiences insights, and challenges as a missionary. Her favorite fruit in Peru is ceviche aje de gallina. No idea what that is, but I'm sure it's delicious. Join us as we learn more about her inspiring journey and the incredible work she is doing to help those in need of Jesus. Hello, listeners. I'm excited to introduce you to missionary to Peru, Heather Hederman. Heather, welcome to the Help Me Abide podcast. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you all today. Thank you for the opportunity, Jennifer. I appreciate it so much. Yay. So this is actually the first time I'm meeting Heather. I've heard little bits and pieces of her story, but I've never, I'm looking at her face to face right now, um, which is actually super cool. She's in Peru. I'm in California, but with modern technology, this is just amazing. Yes. So we're going to start off learning about um, Heather's childhood. So Heather, let us know what your childhood was like. I was very blessed to go up in a Christian home uh, with godly parents who just brought me to church every single time the doors were open. I didn't find out how wonderful that was actually until I got to Peru as a missionary and I found out that all parents don't do that. But I was blessed because um, ever since I was born, my parents brought me to church. My mom, every day after lunch, she would take time to read stories to us and read books with us. And so one day I was almost four years old and she was reading to me a story, which is actually about animals. It's like a parable um, that shares really what Jesus did for us. And so I thank God for that story. And I thank God for the wisdom he gave my mom, because in that moment, uh, when I stopped the story and I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Like I'm a very black and white kind of a just person. And so when King Aaron, who was a lion, saved the raccoon. Uh, His name was Adam Raccoon. I didn't know why, because Adam Raccoon had disobeyed all of King Aaron's rules. And that really bothered me as a kid. And my mom in her, thank God for her wisdom, she took me to heaven and she told me, she said, Heather, you know that your sins are like filthy rags. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to, to wash those rags or to clean those rags. And the only person who can save you from your sins is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I was almost four years old, but I could take you probably to the place in the carpet in that house that we lived and show you where I prayed. And I received Jesus as my savior that day. And I'll always be grateful for that awesome day. I thank God because I hear a lot of stories about teenagers and people like doubting their salvation. Was I ever saved? I don't remember that moment, Um, but I very much remember the moment. And I also very much remember like begging my parents to let me be baptized all my childhood growing up. And my parents were both saved when they were in college and they wanted me to wait until I was old enough to remember. 
And so I actually didn't get baptized until much later in life, choosing to honor my parents in that request. But when I was eight years old, I don't remember what the preacher preached, um, but I remember after church running outside like a good little girl with my friends and sitting on the sidewalk for like getting majorly involved with my friends, I guess. I just remember bowing my head and telling God, I know that I'm a nobody. <laughs> we grew up in this little podunk, tiny little town in Oklahoma. You know, I know I'm nobody. Wow. I know I have nothing to offer you. But I just told you, I said, just in case you think you could use my life or there's anything that you want me to do, I just want you to know that my life is going to be completely yours. So take me and use me and whatever that short little prayer from an eight-year-old's mouth would have been. That's what I yeah. pray. So growing up, missionaries would come to our church um, and they would show, what were they, slideshows back then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pictures on projectors. And um, yeah, I loved it when missionaries came Every time that they came, I just felt the biggest burden. I think I would cry every time. And I remember my parents looking down at me because I was young, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And I'd be sitting in that pew and my dad would look at me and he'd be like, are you okay? And I'd have tears streaming down my face. Aww. Yes, I'm fine. He'd be like, are you sure? I'd be like, yes, but I want to go. He'd be like, what? <laughs> I want to go. I want to be a missionary daddy. And so I thank God that he sometimes accepts volunteers. <laughs> I'm mm. not sure. Um, <laughs> I can't actually tell you at this church, at this altar, I surrender to be a missionary. I was always very, very burdened for that. And so I was blessed to be homeschooled. So when I was 17, I graduated a year early from high school. And uh, my parents told me I couldn't go to college. I was like, okay, well, what do I do now? You know, and we weren't very connected. We were not in a Baptist church at that time. And so we weren't connected to any great Christian colleges or anything. So I would have just gone to some community college or something. But my mom's best friend called and um, I told her, I'm like, well, I'm thinking about being a nanny for this year, you know, trying to make some money and then go to college next year. And she said, why don't you do something for a missionary family? And I'm like, oh, well, my parents would never let me go do something like that. Um, that would probably never, ever happen. And But before she hung up the phone, she told me, she said, well, I'm going to text, I'm going to email your dad text. Haha. I'm going to email your dad all the information, <laughs> um, all the information about this missionary family. And her daughter had just, her daughter's like best friend had just spent time in Peru, Ta-da, Peru, yay, Peru, with a family. So... Uh, my dad started contacting this missionary family in Peru and I am such a mommy and daddy's girl that I would be happy like living with my parents until I die. Okay. Maybe not that like next oh. door, you know, <laughs> Right. <laughs> I, was the one, I was the girl who always cried at the sleepovers. Like, why am I even here? I need my parents, you know, and my parents were kind of the same way when I was uh, a teenager, I attended a conference and they said, the Lord will do whatever his will is for your life. He will always use your parents to direct you into that will. And that just proved to be very true because all of a sudden here, my dad was investigating about me going to Peru. And a few months later, they sent me on an airplane all by myself, 17 year old, little, little blonde girl to Peru, uh, to work with a family that we never met before. They picked me up at the airport and, um, I went to live in Tacna with them for six months. And then after that, I returned to the States for a little bit. And then I went and I worked in Mexico at an orphanage in Guadalajara with Robert and Joy Murillo for six months oh, wow. down there. Yeah. And while I was there, they told me that I needed to go to a conference with them at their church. And so I said, that's great. Uh, that sounds like fun. And I, I could probably learn a lot, you know. And then um, a few weeks later, they were talking to me about it and they accidentally called it pastor school. And I was like, well, <laughs> hold on a second. I'm not a pastor. I don't have any plans to be a pastor. I just want to be a missionary. Uh, I just want to help people and share the gospel. And that's pretty much it. But they took me to pastor school. And wow. uh, while I was there, I got to see a really great college named Hiles Anderson College. And honestly, I could not believe that there was a place that existed like that <laughs> in the whole earth. It just seemed so surreal to me that there would be other people that wanted to serve God in a place that I could prepare myself for. So in my um, deep spirituality as an almost 20 year old, I told God that I would go to Hiles Anderson College for a whole year to prepare myself for uh, whatever he wanted in the ministry. And uh, during that first year, uh, he put on my heart to stay for all four years. 
And um, sure. So, <laughs> so of I, course you did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really glad that I stayed all four years now. And I was listening to your testimony the other day, and I I laughed because I expected the same thing. Like expected everyone at Hiles Anderson College to be like just as passionate about reaching the entire world for Christ. I think having already been in Peru and in Mexico, I saw so much need that mm -hmm. like I walked into the classroom and it was like, it's five minutes till class, but I'm gonna, you know, like I'm gonna start reading my Bible or I'm gonna get ready for my notes. Like they're about ready to give me everything I need for life. You know, like it was, for me, it was just, I was gonna hang on to every single word that uh, these teachers were gonna give me. And, um, but I noticed like looking around that not everyone had the same excitement right? as I did. <laughs> terribly unfortunate, um, but I think yes. that it's just true. Um, and then because I had plenty of roommates every day, I would, I just, the only place I had to have time alone with God was out in the hallway. And so that's what I did. Uh, the first, I think three years of my life. And then the last, I think the last year or two, um, it's been so long ago. I can hardly remember, but, um, the last year or two I was on staff. And so I was blessed like to have my own room and a little living room where I could go. Some of the people that lived with me, like later they commented to me, like, I was just so encouraged to see you read your Bible every single day. And I was just kind of like, what? Yeah. Like, are you serious? Like, that's what we're all supposed to do. You do it too, right? In your room, right? You know, like, right. <laughs> I'm the only crazy one that to wake myself up and I have roommates who want to sleep late and stuff. So I'm the only crazy one who uses the hallway, right? But anyways, God is good. My last year in college, I had a good friend and his name was Daniel Kokobun. He was one of those guys that like, I felt actually safe with, you know, like there was all the other guys that you said like hi or smiled at them. They would be like popping the ring, you know, like, do you want to marry me? And, um, but he was like actually one guy that I felt safe with, like I could joke around with and, and, you know, uh, and he just had a great charisma and he was just lots and lots of fun. And I knew he was real and he loved God. And I actually talked to him quite a bit, like not a lot our first two years um, in school, but our first two years he was dating a really good friend of mine. And so it was like, oh, you're taken, so you're safe. And so we were just able to talk and I was able to hear about, um, about his walk with God and his passion for the Lord. The start of my final year there at college, he asked me out. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you're not supposed to <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> We're friends, right? We're, this is cool. <laughs> And also, he was like a, a whole inch, I think, shorter than me. And I thought there were rules about that. So I was like, wait a second, you're not supposed to do The this. unwritten rules. <laughs> and so I was like, man, what shoes can I wear tonight? You know, and all those things. And he asked me out for ch a church date. It's the worst date of my entire life. I think he told me that I was ugly. And when I told him how tall I was, he just like sighed like, oh. <gasps> And so I, I almost looked at him because I'm kind of a real and raw person. I almost looked at him and said, shall I walk away now? Or do you want me to wait till after the service? You know, like, so we both know this isn't going to work, but let me help you consider a few other cute girls around here. You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, but anyways, uh, he had the nerve to keep asking me out to the point that I had to go to God and say, is there something that you need to tell me here? Because this is not the romantic story I was thinking ever that I had hoped for and what is going on here. And, uh, but the Lord really began to change my heart. And later in life, I was very glad uh, that I chose a guy and that I got to have the privilege of knowing a man that had such a uh, good relationship with the Lord, who had such a real relationship with God. And God was so, so real to Daniel. He would just start talking out loud to him or he would just say, just a minute, let's pray. Um, or you could, you'd see him out on the street and he would be walking and talking or singing. And so I really thank God now that all over handsomest people or the most athletic guys or whatever, you know, could have attracted me to him, um, that the Lord uh, used him in my life. And uh, I would just say to the young single girls, if you're listening, um, make sure that your priorities are in, in the right spot because it doesn't matter how handsome of a man you marry. If after you marry him, he doesn't love God, there's, there's a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of complications that can happen. Amen. Um, so you all know the end of the story. I married him after we finished college. Three months later, I married him in August. In September, we started a deputation. And in the last year of college, 
Uh, the Lord just worked it out. At first, I didn't know if I, I was going to date him because he said he wanted to be a youth pastor and I wanted to be a missionary. And I was like, I don't know, Lord, how this is going to work because I really want to be a missionary and he really wants to be a youth pastor. And I had to ask myself, like, would I be willing to only be a youth pastor's wife um, in the States? And um, not that that's only for every single woman who's called to do that. It's the best God could ask them to do. But because I had this dream of going to uh, the world, I had to really struggle with that. And then one day he had the guts to tell me that he really wanted to be a youth pastor, but on a missions team. And uh, so as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, you're, yep, where's the ring? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <You're the one. laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> exactly. So we were married in August. In September, we started deputation. We did a whole nine months of deputation and we moved to Peru in July of 2012. So we got down here just in time to help or be here to start uh, the very first church right over here, a few, a couple of miles from my house now on uh, Rodolfo in Felipe. And uh, we had 38 people there at the first service and um, God really blessed in those first few years. Um, and God gave Daniel uh, two years and eight months uh, to serve him here in Peru. And um, then I got to serve the Lord with him in May of 2015. Uh, I guess it was it was April 29th when the Lord allowed what the world would call an accident. I choose to call it an incident, but he was trying to help some neighbors, trying to be the helpful person that he was. He fell from about three floors high all the way down onto a concrete floor. And um, so uh, I ran down the stairs hoping that he would still be alive because he didn't answer me the first or second time. And he was such a funny guy that I thought he was kidding. <laughs> and I thought he was going to jump up at any moment and be like, you know. Um, so I went banging on our neighbor's door downstairs. I was shaking like a leaf and I was telling God, just let him be alive. Please just let him be alive. Just, just let him be alive. No, he was laying down. And he had fallen on his head. Uh, he was kind of a punk, so he had a hoodie with his his hood on. And um, I tried to move his hoodie, and uh, I saw blood, and I'm not very good with blood. Um, sorry. I'm sorry. So about five or six days later, um, the Lord took him to heaven. He was only 26 years old. And he had so much more to give. Uh, he, he was a dreamer. He wanted to reach the youth of Christ with the gospel. He was dreaming of 100 teens at our first youth conference and then maybe 1,000. And then once we got to 10,000, he was going to invite Brother Eddie Lapina to come down here and to preach at the big stadium with all the teens. <laughs> And um, I kind of spun into a, a different kind of a world. All my dreams kind of came crashing down and I began to question everything. Selfishly, I asked, why would God let this happen to me? <laughs> Did he not see that I, I already gave everything up? My parents and my family and my home and the comforts of living in the U.S., to come down here and tell others about Jesus. Is this, is this how he's going to take care of me? <laughs> um, I struggled a lot. Um, but, but while he was in a coma, they were telling me that his brain was dead <laughs> on one side. And then the next day I went in and they said, the brain is dead on another side. And, in Spanish, of course, and my Spanish wasn't terrific after almost three years. I regret not taking the time to go to a good language school, but we just learned on the streets here with people. I'm still learning to this day. Um, two days ago, I saw a seal in the ocean, and I was so excited that I started yelling to everybody on the shore, look, it's a light bulb, a light bulb. And I went to text a friend of mine, because <laughs> it's FOCA, uh, F-O-C-A. 
And I went to text a friend of mine because my God loves me sign to seeing dolphins at the ocean. And Aww. she always says she doesn't get to see dolphins. But I text her, I'm like, guess what? I saw a focal. And the little emoji light bulb flies up. And I'm like, no, don't tell me this. I just yelled. <gasps> I just yelled <laughs> a whole five people on the shore of this beach over here that I just saw a light bulb. And it was. Uh, so anyways. But anyways, in my in their broken Spanish, they were telling me that he was going to die. And I didn't want to believe it. Uh and um, it just seemed like not the right ending to the story. <laughs> uh, does that make sense? Like, but we told you we were gonna give you all of our lives and we just, we're just starting basically, you know, um, the Lord hadn't let us have children yet um, and other things. And so it's like, no, this can't be. Um, but on May 5th, uh, 2015, I uh, stood at the grave And we buried him. The teenagers sang hymns with me around the grave. And we would sing, uh, I saw Jesus in you. And I would cry. And then sing, and then someone else would hug me. Um, but one thing that I begged... Um, the leader at the time of Team Peru uh, was brother Dan Hubbard and I, I begged him when I found out that he was gonna die, I said, look, all right, if he's gonna die, he's gonna die, but um, please let me stay in Peru. I think if he dies, wow. I think if he dies, I'm gonna lose like half of my heart. So um, please let me keep the other half of my heart and let me stay. And so it kind of helped me a little bit in those days. At the time when I had to tell people that he was going to die, I also had the mercies of telling them, but I get to say, um, and I didn't even understand at the time, but everyone just assumed that I would leave and go back to the States. And that was a very foreign concept in my mind. It was like, why do you think I would leave and go back to the States when there are still 30 million people in this country who need Jesus? And we've barely... We haven't even, you know, scratched the surface of reaching this people for him. And are you serious now that my husband's not here? There's going to be a whole lot more that we have to do and a whole lot more work. Like, why would anybody in their right mind thinking about going to the States and doing what? You know what I mean? Like sitting on the couch? <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. Um, I just didn't even like, no me cuadro. It didn't even uh, make sense in my mind. Um, so... I stayed and the Lord was good to us. Um, about a year later, uh, by that time when my husband passed away, he was a youth pastor and we just had our, basically our pastor at the church. And about a year later, um, the Lord took him back to the States and um, left. An, he left an interim pastor here uh, who is Peruvian. And once again, I went through all the other emotions of, well, there's no way I can leave right now. Um, there's this brand new guy who's going to start figuring out how to be a pastor. And uh, the church needs me. I didn't even think about leaving then. One of the choices I made from when Daniel first died was that I was going to grieve. And I was going to let myself grieve and give myself the time to grieve. But I decided that I would cry when I needed to cry. That I would let yeah. myself grieve when I needed to grieve. And that was one of my prayers that God would heal me. And I thank God that he did. And about two and a half years later, a young man came from the United States. Like, according to everybody else, he was white. He was single. He was completely available. I was a very sad widow. I don't think I was that sad. But anyways, I was, you know, the widow of Peru. And so even before he came, I think he had 13 people ask if he was coming down here to marry me. He started counting. One of my good friends texted me and said, uh, is Josh coming to be your new pastor and to marry you? And I was like, I'm sorry, who is Josh? And right. I was, <laughs> I, was fiction. I was like, well, he's not bad looking, you know, like, uh, so, and then uh, my friend's like, well, you make sure you get together with him. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I don't even know where he's going in Lima. Lima's huge. I'm not just going to text him. Hi, my name's Heather. <laughs> um, but anyways, the Lord brought him down. So the Lord allowed us to start getting to know each other. And after about six months, we started dating. I think our first date lasted like six hours. We closed out the restaurant. 
<laughs> we met for lunch, but That's it was a connection. Like, yeah, it was some kind of a connection and uh, the fact that we were actually like, we finally just started talking and telling each other everything. Two months later, we got married. So the Lord was very good to us. Uh, we got married. Then a couple years later, uh, the Lord sent me a son. Uh, his name is Joseph. Um, my husband was kind enough to ask me when I was pregnant if I wanted to name him Daniel. And I bawled and I said, let me think about that. <laughs> um, and there's too many emotions. Um, still, it's been eight years now since Daniel. I still miss him. I still love him dearly. And I can't wait till I get to have my mansion and Josh on one side and Daniel on the other. Oh, I love that. <laughs> And um, I think that those who haven't been through um, being a widow, being remarried, don't really understand it. So sorry to all of you all. <laughs> um, but I did name my son Joseph Daniel. And um, he was born in Peru. And so he gets to have two last names. So his legal name is Joseph Daniel Hederman Kokoboon. And he says it just about like that. Kokoboon, just like that. And um, he's God's big big gift to me because I had many days when I didn't think I was going to be a mother and I kind of had that dream shattered and so uh, Joseph is a great big blessing to me we play I try to enjoy every moment of life with him I laugh and um, having lost a husband um, it teaches you to enjoy life on a whole new level I think that you don't know what you have until until you have to lose it. And uh, so I'm very grateful for, for my Joseph Daniel. He's a big blessing to me. Um, I haven't been able to have children since Joseph Daniel. And I wasn't able to have children before Joseph Daniel. And so Joseph is my, um, my big blessing. And I try to enjoy every minute with him and tell God that if he doesn't allow me to have any more children, that I'll always be grateful for my Joseph. And um, we do pray that the Lord will in the future give us children. Uh, but until then, I try to soak in every moment with my baby, <laughs> who's, yes. who's three now. <laughs> um, wow. So anyways, um, that kind of brings us almost kind of up to where we are today. Sorry, there's some of my testimony. <laughs> Don't be sorry. That was the most beautiful thing ever. Oh. All the valleys and mountaintops is just such a picture of the Christian life. So I want to comment on just a few things. First of all, so you were saved three years old, about to be four. Yes, ma'am. And you surrendered your life to Christ at eight, which is so beautiful oh. to be so young and so surrendered. But I, it's also an encouragement to all children's workers out there that little children could make decisions that could last their whole lives Absolutely. And, um, and it's not a small deal and it seems to me in america like a lot of churches are losing their children's ministries and what a what a disservice to the to the little souls that have so much to offer Absolutely. and then i read heather's book it is amazing I love how she shared the plan of salvation in the beginning of the book because you can't grow in Christ without being saved. So a lot of people leave that to the end. By the way, if you're not saved, get saved. But she puts that right in the in the beginning, which I really enjoyed. And also, there's little excerpts of Daniel's in there. That was neat to be able to hear from him. Like he got to publish a book with her, even though he's already in heaven. I thought that was beautiful. And I like how she intertwines their testimony into practical Christian living, basically what you're supposed to do. So I highly recommend it. It's an easy read because it's so personal. It's the first time I actually heard your story from you. <laughs> I remember you mentioned in the book about how Daniel felt convicted about spending time with the Lord. So I think he started with seven hours a week and then he went to 14 hours a week, two hours a day that he wanted to spend with God. And it just made me think that he was like Enoch where he walked with God and then he was not. And it was just like God kind of wanted to take him just so that they could be together for, for more time. And honestly, I, I struggled with God over that um, because he told me uh, 14 hours that God wanted him to walk with um, him every week. And I remember telling him, okay, change your schedule, 
do whatever you need to do to make that happen. Like, I am not going to stand in the way that the Lord is telling you this. That's perfectly fine. Like, go for it. And after he died, I almost like <laughs> got like a little bit mad with God. Like I told him that he could have that time with you. Like, was that not enough? Like, was I not being <laughs> like, not yes, exactly. Like, was I not being gracious enough? And I don't know, only heaven will tell. Um, but he did, he went in a coma when he fell. And sometimes I think that maybe instead, like his body just fell and God just took his spirit up to heaven, you know, like all those things. But uh, so sometimes I would like tell God, like, did you just get jealous of me? Like, did I have it? <laughs> you know, like, ah. yeah, real conversations for sure. Yeah. And just kind of to comment on, on what you said about uh, the salvation, um, putting at the beginning of the book. I think that what you said is true. Like, there's absolutely no way that you can grow and walk in Christ unless you're saved. And you know, as a fact that you're saved. Um, but I think also the other part of me was like, just in case someone picks up this book and they don't want to read the rest of it, I better hit it soon. So like, this yes. is my chance to <laughs> get the gospel the in The main here. thing's the main thing. <laughs> yes, I love that. Oh. I don't know that I've read a book that had that in the front. And I was like, okay, Heather, <laughs> I like you. <laughs> oh, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The last thing I wanted to comment on was um, your son's name is Joseph Daniel, and my brother's name is Daniel Joseph. And oh, how amazing is that? Wow. Yeah, I think that's really neat. Oh. And I love that God gave you that gift and your husband to be secure enough to allow you. I mean, that's that's true love. Yeah. It's not a self. That's not a selfish love. Connie Marujo here, resource promoter for the Help Me Abide podcast. One of our core missions for this podcast is to provide reliable and trustworthy resources to our valued listeners. It's important to note that we do not benefit financially from these promotions in any way. Our sole purpose is to inform you about safe KJV products that are available for you and your family. That being said, Heather Heatherman has written a fantastic book entitled Flow, and it's available for purchase on Amazon. Here's an excerpt. One day, after a particularly difficult issue with several of the girls in our youth group, I came to the point where I felt like I could not lead anymore. I felt like a failure and told Daniel, I'm just not a good youth pastor's wife. I literally felt like I didn't want to continue. Thoughts like, I can't lead these girls. I don't know how to be a good youth pastor's wife or missionary, flooded my mind. After a few tears and realizing my frustration, my gracious husband quietly said, Heather, you don't have to like it. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to fill in the blank with any other expectation I would place upon myself. He continued, all you have to do is stay on my team. Be with me. That's all I need. I sighed with relief. Now that request was something feasible. I knew I could definitely be with Daniel. Being at his side was a pleasure and delight. I loved being with him. If I thought of things that way, I could definitely handle whatever ministry God sent my way. So I endeavored to simply focus on being with Daniel, to stop putting so much pressure on myself and to stop trying to live up to what I thought met each one of my teenagers' expectations. A few months after Daniel passed on to heaven, I found myself thinking the same way. This time, however, I looked up at God with tears streaming down my face and bluntly told Him, I don't know if I can do this. I just can't be good at living your story right now. I hate it. I hate attempting to live every moment without Daniel. It's breaking my heart over and over, day after day. My loving Heavenly Father looked down on me and it was almost as if I could hear him say, as Daniel had once done so many times previously, Heather, you don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it. You don't have to be good at it or perform. All you have to do is stay on my team. That's it. Stay faithful just one more day. I'm fairly sure I think about this thought numerous times a day. My loving father gently whispers in my ear when I wonder how I can keep going. All he asks of you or me is that we stay faithful. We must keep practicing. We must stay in the race one more moment, one more hour, one more day. He'll take care of all your frets, problems, cares, and worries. He will finish his perfect plan in us. All he asks is that we stay on his team. This would be a great book to buy. Check out our website, helpmeabide.com, or this episode's show notes for a direct link to purchase. 
what challenges have you faced since living in Peru? You mentioned language is difficult. Yeah, um, challenges I faced here. One of a very difficult thing that happened to us about eight months before Daniel passed away um, is that we got robbed. Uh, we came home from church one day and the door was wide open and there was hangers in the doorway. And I was like, I don't think I left any hangers here um, in my innocent mind. And my husband knew right away what had happened and he just sent me right back downstairs. So I think one of the big things there, I learned to thank God <laughs> for everything he had left in the house. <laughs> Um, including on deputation, they had given me, um, it's not, it's a KitchenAid, yeah? A big mixer, a KitchenAid. Yeah, and yeah. they just left that on the counter and those are worth a lot of money here. <laughs> and so like I learned like my KitchenAid was there and my mom had gotten me a cricket that I had under one of the beds. And so I said, thank you for my cricket and thank you for my KitchenAid. And there were a lot of things that they took um, and it was very hard for me. Um, but I learned that that for everything that God took, he gave back something that was even better. Um, we had our Peruvian families show up at the door with a huge Tupperware full of foods, with better brands, better food than I would dare buy, that I didn't have the money to buy on my missionary budget, you know, and they just dumped it off at our house. We had a family from a Bible study give us a brand new TV. We didn't need a TV, but they wanted us to have a TV because our TV was stolen. They took up a love offering for us and almost all my husband's suits and shirt, all my tennis shoes, all of his shoes were gone. But just seeing like God send someone to the house with three new dress shirts for him and things like that, that before we just take so for granted in the States, you walk into a segunda, um, a thrift store and you just, you know, buy them for $2 a piece, you know, but here there's, there's just different prices on things. And so just the way that God provided like time after time again. And then I also really struggled in my heart for these robbers. I dealt a lot with fear growing up. I was always very scared of, you know, the different stupid Osama bin Laden. I think he's in my closet at night, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> and um, so I was never the one to be like a brave missionary girl. And then later, who would have thought as a widow that I would stay and live by myself in a third world country? You know what I mean? Um, but God was just so good. Um, but one thing that my, my Daniel told me then is he said, if you're going to re if we're going to reach Peru, then you better be praying for our people. And it's kind of embarrassing to say that I would come to Peru. And I mean, we did pray for the people, especially before we got here. And then once we got here and started doing ministry, like I would pray for them by name. Um, but Daniel told me, he said, you better go out to the front doors. The front, We had a French double door out there. And you better pray for the people of Peru. And that's what I started doing. I would go out there three times a day. I'd set my little timer and three times a day. I'd go out there and I would pray for the people of Peru. And I thank God for that. Through that, God gave me a bigger burden for the people than I'd ever had before. And so I thank God that he did that. And then even after my husband passed away, I would go back out to those doors and I would, with tears falling down my eyes, I would pray again for the people of Peru. And I would pray for the people, pray for people who would help us reach Peru as well, not having my husband who could preach and do everything he did before. So that was something that the Lord taught me, gratitude and that he's our Jehovah driver. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. I could definitely relate to being robbed. We were, when we were in Africa, we were robbed three different times. One of them was by the lady who lived in our, didn't live in our house, but helped us with our children. And she was in our house all the time. So I had to also decide to love the people and realize they're in a totally different situation that I'm in. Yeah. They're seeing opportunity. It's just a different, they had a different mindset and I had to love them and accept them where they were. Um, and I also had to realize that things are things and people were people because my three kids who were very small, they didn't harm them at all. So they came through and they were all sleeping and I'm sure they had a machete in their arms and they took some stuff and yeah, they made some money, but they didn't, they didn't hurt my baby. So I was okay. You take, you take whatever you want. Ab Just don't take my kid. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. God does provide. God does provide. Okay. What's a specific area of personal growth you've experienced through your service? Um, I would say one of the biggest things that God has done in my heart over these almost 11 years is humility. <laughs> I hate to say it's embarrassing to say, but I think that I came to Peru 
with the mindset of I have Jesus and he's what you need. So therefore you kind of think that you're the answer. <laughs> oh, that's terrible to say, but I learned humility and I learned that mm. I'm not the answer and that I don't have anything to offer these people. I learned that this is the perfect place for Jesus to mold me and make me into the, the being that I need to be for him to take my, my little clay pot and break it time and time again and remold and remake it. So I would say that that's probably one of the, one of the biggest growing areas that, that God has done for me to quote Nancy Damas Wagamu. She says, anything that makes me need God is a blessing. And so there's a lot of things that the mission field gives you <laughs> a lot of needs <laughs> that I've been blessed to have. And every single one of those has made me realize that I need Jesus and that he really is the answer and that there's nothing else out there that can, that can be the solution except for him. Amen. Yeah. I feel like often we go to try to change the world and we realize, Oh God, God's, cha God's changing us too. Yeah. Oh, you did. Oh, we need, we need, we need the sanctification too. <laughs> oh wait, you didn't really need me for this, did you? And I feel like he's right. laughing up there in heaven, like, "Are you serious? You? No way!" <laughs> oh. oh, he's so gracious and long-suffering with us. Yes, that's for sure. He absolutely is. Um, how did the role of faith help you overcome difficult situations? Faith, <laughs> faith is is vital. It's like the, the Bible says in the, the little children's song, the wise man built his house upon the rock, the rock of Jesus yeah. Christ. The mission field has stripped me from so many of the things that I thought I needed mm. and made me realize that only on Christ's solid rock do I stand and that all other ground is sinking sand. So when everything is stripped away, I've been able to find that God is and his word is not only everything that you and I, that we need, but that he is more than we need. In my grief, I grew to question whether God was even real. I went through all the beautiful stages of grief, getting angry. I started doubting whether God was real, whether he actually existed or not, or if this is all just some kind of a fairy tale, what I want to, you know, whatever thing. But coming full circle back to realizing and seeing and knowing that God is real, and that he is absolutely everything was something beautiful because it put in my heart a new kind of a faith that no pastor, no conference, no godly parents can kind of like uh, instill in your heart. And so I thank him for that. Amen. I totally agree. Uh, and he, it's interesting what trials he brings into our life. It's like, that's the only thing that could have broken me. And you knew because God is the only person who knows our hearts. Right. Absolutely. Um, can you describe a time on the field when you had to completely surrender an area of your life to God's perfect will? <laughs> Let's see which time. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I would say um, that most recently I've had to resurrender absolutely everything to the Lord. Um, when my husband and I got married, uh, my husband got to come and he started working in the church that I had been working in since I'd been living in Peru. But now after, after almost 11 years of being on the field, um, the Lord led my husband and I to resign from the church uh, that we've been working at. And the Lord started moving in our heart about a year ago, I would say. And I was okay to live and die here. <laughs> like I was perfectly fine to be, you know, like I kind of had in my mind, I guess that little thing of like, I would really like to be here until the church is, you know, really big if the Lord allows until, and then I'll be, be like, oh, she's been here for 47 years, you know, that kind of a thing. And so when God started sending the little earthquakes to our life and showing us that now is the time to move on, I kind of was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> this is really from you. Um, because in also in all the trials I'd faced before, what he was asking me to do was, yes, go through the trial, but stay faithful. And staying faithful at that time was serving in the church that he had placed me in. Um, but about a year ago, when the Lord started moving in my husband's heart and in my heart about this matter of going and starting a new work, a brand new work again, it's really been, okay, Lord, so I surrender all of this into your hands. And so, and last month in June, we, um, we resigned from the church. 
We didn't tell anybody before we told the pastor. The pastor, we'd already had several discussions with the pastor about it. And he would ask us from time to time, when are you guys leaving? When are you starting a church? When are you, when are you guys going? You know, kind of a thing. And I was like, oh, we're not sure yet. You know, uh, when we resigned, it literally did feel like, okay, Lord, I'm letting go of the whole steering wheel. Like everything you've asked me to do for these past few years. And it's been beautiful to see the peace, to feel the peace that passes all understanding, to follow in obedience. Um, no one is always going to agree with you, you know, on everything that you decide to do in life. But knowing that, that one day in heaven, when we stand before Jesus, he's the one that we're going to answer to about absolutely everything we've done on this earth. Um, so we've honestly had to surrender all of our ministry uh, to him. Uh, we were at a very good place. We had a great, my husband was the administrative pastor. So we were just involved in literally every single part of the church. And I loved my teen girls and I had an ensemble and I did the adult choir and I loved the kids. And I mean, we, it was just everything that I've been in, um, the families that have been with me since I lost Daniel and before. So that's been, that's been huge uh, in the past couple of months. But once again, surrendering everything into his hands, remembering that the Lord doesn't desire for us just to be comfortable or um, satisfied and happy on earth. He's not really worried about me being happy, my happiness here. What's important is that Christ is honored, that he is exalted and lifted up, and that every single person has a chance to hear the name of Jesus. And so I had a couple of teens over here the other night and we were talking and I told them, I said, you guys know that this is what we're called to. And if the Lord had put on, on our hearts, we have a beautiful home uh, that I live in here in Peru. Uh, don't feel sorry for me. I live like six blocks from the beach. We have a beautiful home. I have a wonderful husband. But I told him, I said, if God had placed on my husband's heart that we are supposed to sell everything um, and to take a backpack and go to some little hut in Africa, I looked at that. I said, I need to be ready for that. I need to be will I, I will. I told him, I said, I am prepared and I will go. And they both just kind of looked at me like, Meh. and I was like, you know, like, you know that I'm a missionary. Like, this is what God has called me to. And this is what surrender has to be. It has to be not what I want or what I like or what I'm comfortable in. And, you know, that, 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 that. It's all about him and it's all about his glory. And um, so if that means that we leave what we've established in this large group of believers that the Lord has allowed us to get to work with for this time, for such a time as this, to go knock on some brand new doors and reach some brand new people for him. We know that number one, he is worthy because he's always worthy of everything we can do. But number two, we know that in years to come, when we look back and we have our, our big days or we have our anniversaries and we see this new people and that if God had never worked in the ways that he had for us to leave the church that, were, we, that we were at last month, um, and we had never jumped out of the boat and started walking on the water again, um, we would have never got to see them get saved. And so we are looking forward to in three, five, 10 years, being able to look back and say, wow, look at everything you did. So, but I would covet your prayers for that um, as we step out in faith. Um, my husband and I, it's a new journey that we get to do together. And I'm just like, thank you, God, I get to go with my husband. And thank you, I get to go with my son. You know, we get to be together. And, um, but yes, we are, we are completely surrendered and resting in, in what he wants to do. Which is awesome. And a fantastic example to those teenage girls of what true surrender is. Sometimes God doesn't ask us to do things that are logical or comfortable or easy. And sometimes we think, oh, I've already been through a very hard trial. I've already surrendered. Do I have to do that again? But the Christian life is like continual surrender. It's not just a one-time deal and it's not just in one area. So you're being a good example to those kids and hopefully they could see, you know, sometimes it's not easy to surrender what you love, but if it's what God wants, he's, he's the one and he's worthy. Like you said, number one. Okay. <laughs> Our podcast verse is Psalm 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. What verse has helped you abide in the secret place? Um, I really like John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I love that you've named the podcast this, but I think that the word abide is 
is so important because unless we are abiding in Christ, unless we are filled with his Holy Spirit, we can try all day long. Uh, we can serve soup in soup kitchens, but unless we're filled with God's Holy Spirit and he can work in us, then we can do absolutely nothing, 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 nothing. And so I love the Psalm, the Psalm verse. And then I also love the verse in John that just reminds us that it's absolutely necessary to abide every single minute in, in yes. him. So. And just wait till you hear Lindsay Osgood's song, Help Me Abide. That is what oh, the podcast oh, is named after. Yeah, and her, it is just everything that you just said. It's very powerful. And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that it is not my job to do the work. It's God's job to do the work. My job is just to abide and surrender. You said it beautifully in the beginning. It's Jesus. <laughs> yes. I just have Jesus. It's just, it's not me. It's Jesus. So. Amen. <laughs> Other than the Bible, what resource has been the most helpful to you in your Christian walk? Can I tell you three? <laughs> yes, that please. Okay. I think I would say, I was like, oh man, how do I do this? When I was almost 15, my best friend put a book that's called Authentic Beauty into my hands. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's called Authentic Beauty and it's by Leslie Ludi. And honestly, her book is what helped me to see that I have the value as a young lady to walk with God, if that makes sense. My mom had taught me like, you know, you need to read your Bible, you need this, but there was something so compelling about Authentic Beauty that really teaches young ladies how to be beautiful for Christ. But really what that, um, all that is, is that is your heart. And so when I read that book, I took a challenge. I made up a challenge for myself. I asked my best friend, I said, look, do you wanna start something called goals? And we'll meet together at the beginning of every month. And we'll set our goals for that month as far as our walk in with Christ. And so I thank God um, because to, to this day, um, Authentic Beauty, literally I would wake up, I think at 5.15 every single morning to have my, uh, uh, you know, undivided time with the Lord. And so that was what motivated me to start a walk with God. I would have to say authentic beauty. Um, and then there's Hudson Taylor. It's called in the early years, the growth of a soul. There's two different books to it and it's huge. It's very deep and there's a lot of detail. So you kind of have to, you know, pick and choose or just open to a new page and start reading the next day. But it reveals so much of Hudson Taylor and his walk with God and his surrender and his willingness to go anywhere and do anything for Christ. And I think that missionaries like that can be so inspiring. And in today's watered down society of uh, it's America and you deserve to be comfortable. And if you haven't been to Disney by the time you're 18, um, something's wrong with your parents and you're, you know, you're underprivileged and all the other things. It's your life. It's your your agenda. You you deserve this. And um, so much of what we deal with the teenagers here is them thinking that that yeah they they deserve certain things. And so like it's kind of like they're being gypped because they haven't been given it. I just love uh, the lives of Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, Gladys Allward, their dedication to Christ. Adoniram Judson. Both of those books from Hudson Taylor was something that the Lord absolutely. Uh, used in my life as a younger person, a teenager before college. I, I think I was actually 15 when I read those as well. And then the third book I would say is called Absolute Surrender. And that's by Andrew Murray. If you haven't read it, you just need to read it. It's such a good book. When I think I'm surrendered, I go back and read it again. <laughs> and I get convicted all over again. Like, oh yeah, that too, Lord, I'm sorry. Um, I would have to sum it up to those three books for now. Um, and then obviously the word of God is, is so powerful and needed daily in our lives to encourage us Amen. to continue. So, yeah. Well, I definitely feel like I'm talking to a best friend. So Aww. thank you. I'm grateful for your testimony and your willingness to share it. I think that it could be a help to, to lots of, of ladies out there. Thank you. And thank you for not quitting because people would have understood and people would have encouraged but uh, staying on your dream, uh, what you wanted as a little child is to influence those people uh, in other countries and continuing that even when times are hard, even when you didn't understand, even when you might have lost your faith a little bit, you knew that there was a purpose for your life. So thank you for continuing on. You're an inspiration to me and to many. So Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing this podcast. I know it's going to be such an encouragement to so many. 
out there. I'm ex- I'm very excited to see how God Yay. uses it. Yes, honestly, podcast has been one of the biggest things that the Lord has used to keep me on fire for Him since I came to the field. It, it, I would say it's definitely been like the biggest lifeline uh, next to the Word of God. So I'm really excited for your podcast, and I'll be praying that the Lord uses it greatly. I do appreciate that. And listeners, I encourage you, please pray for Heather. She is on the front lines. You could tell that she's worthy of our prayer. So if you could pray for her in this next transition of her life and her husband and her precious child, Joseph Daniel, that God would put the hedge of protection around them, that they would keep the faith and that souls would be saved and changed for, for God's honor and glory. So thank you, Heather, for joining us and hope you have a fantastic day in Peru. Thank you. You too. God bless you. God bless you too. so much for listening to the Help Me Abide podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did. 
If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us on social media or through our podcast website, www.helpmeabide.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. The Help Me Abide podcast is a ministry of the Faith Baptist Church of Wildemar, California, pastored by Pastor Bruce Goddard. That being said, it's important to remember that this podcast is not a substitute for regular church attendance. We encourage all of our listeners to be faithful members of a local, independent, Bible-believing Baptist church. My heartfelt gratitude goes out to Mrs. Tammy Goddard, who facilitates the podcast, Lisa Grubb, who expertly directs our social media outreach, Connie Marujo, who tirelessly promotes our resources, and Lindsay Osgood, who provides the perfect musical accompaniment to the interviews. Without our amazing team, this podcast would not be possible. Also, big thanks to Faith Music Missions and Hiles Anderson College for allowing us to use their beautiful music on our podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with more inspiring content.